All right. Well, normally at this time of the uh, our service, we usually do announcements. But this morning, it being the uh, first Sunday of the month, we're going to do a communion. And as the uh, elders and deacons come forward and start handing out communion, um, if you're if you're a guest and um, if you're a guest or, or um, haven't accepted Christ into your life yet, um, you know we just ask that you pass on that. Unless you do decide to make that decision today. Um, if you want to ask the Lord into your heart, you know, you're more than welcome to do that. But if you haven't made that decision yet, we just ask you to, to pass on it. And um, Keith and Randy had these out. And we'll, um, as, as it's getting handed out, we'll um, wait to take, take communion together. So we, we'll do the bread together um, after a prayer. And then we'll do the uh, take of the cup. Um, and then we'll partake. So we'll just please just wait for everybody to get theirs and we'll get started. you're at the first service or some of you may have seen it this morning we had a good washing of the spirit and it was coming down pretty hard on us so i think there we we, we uh, got washed in the rain then we got washed in the spirit as we came to the church so glad to see it dried up for for the, the second service here i know it'll take a couple uh months before we get used to two services but we're getting there all right i'm gonna go ahead and be reading from matthew 26 26 And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Let's pray. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life. You feed our souls, you nourish our hearts, and you give us sustenance to run the race before us. And as we break the bread, we feel the softness of your love for us. We experience your grace. And, and experience a new, fresh day. We thank you with all our hearts for the great price you paid. You were crucified on the cross for us. And just as yeast has caused the bread to rise, you rose again. Triumph over death as Lord of Lords, King of Kings forever. Our beloved Savior, thank you, Lord. Amen. Please partake of the bread. And reading from Matthew 26, 27 through 30. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for the many of the remission of sins but I say to you I will not drink from of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom and and when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives let's pray Lord as we drink from this cup Lord we remember that you are the giver of life. You are forgiveness. You bring deep peace to all of our souls. Your love flows within us. And as we pour out of this cup, we see your sacrifice poured out for us. We notice the depth of your goodness and the pain you suffered for us. We dwell upon the intimacy, or excuse me, the intricacy of human life and the price you paid to set humanity free. Just as the tombstone rolled away and to unleash the risen Lord, your light shines in our hearts now. Extinguish all the darkness to release heaven's blessing upon us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And please partake of the cup. And then a final prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And it's your love that teaches us, Lord. Why do you love the world? Why do you love your church? Why do you love us, Lord? And it, the only reason is because of your nature, not because of anything we have done, but for your actions and just because of who you are. 
you are love, Lord. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Well, it's been a while since we've had uh, communion on Sunday morning. But what we try to do, and usually I'm the one messing it up because I never remember, is every other month on the first Sunday of the month we'll have communion. And on the alternating months, we have it on Wednesday because in the fellowship, we have some that only come on Wednesdays, some that only come on Sundays, and we want to make sure that we're making that opportunity available for all the believers in the fellowship. And so next month, it'll be on the first Wednesday of the month. Let's go to chapter 8 if you're not there already, and we'll remember that in the last few sermons, the last few weeks, Paul has been talking about marriage, he's been talking about singleness, he's been talking about are you more or less spiritual or holy if you are celibate or are you given in marriage and and if you remember it's 100 percent our righteousness comes from jesus christ alone and it didn't matter it's more important to be what god has called you to be but this week he has a situation that he's going to address here that in some ways is completely foreign to us but in other ways is all too familiar if you grew up in corinth in the first century You grew up in a world where people worship these false gods and goddesses. There's temples everywhere. There are different religions and different faiths that are interacting from all over the known world. You can't even go down the street or to the market without being influenced or without seeing these different gods and statutes and temples and priests and priestesses. And it's fully enveloping your entire world. If you come out of a Gentile or pagan background at that time and you were living there in Corinth, then when you grew up, you might have some household deities. You might have some small idols, carved images that your family member is going to pray to, that they're going to offer stuff and put coins there and put part of the food there. Because the situation in that faith is completely foreign to us. See, for us, those of us that know the true and living God know that he's a God of mercy and righteousness that he is perfect, he is truth itself. But for those pagans, those gods have no righteousness. They have emotions just like us. They have feelings like us. They can be vengeful. They can be upset. They could be playing around with humanity for entertainment. They don't have the same values, first and foremost, because they're not real. They don't exist. But if you grew up in that culture, your dad, your mom, your grandparents, your neighbors are all worshiping these gods and trying to impress them and trying to make them happy. And in the midst of that, people were coming from the East with this brand new, brand new faith that God, the true God, the one and only God, had a son who came to the world, and through him, by faith alone, you could be saved. No giving of offerings, no earning, not through works. It was by faith alone. And people began to come out of that lifestyle. They became to come out of that culture. But it's permeating the entire church, and there's issues that arise with that. So let's go into a word of prayer, and then we're going to see how Paul addresses this and what was the issue that was so difficult in the church of Corinth. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as you were speaking to Corinth locally, you're speaking to us universally, Lord. I pray that In some areas that we can't relate, we are able to draw on those that seem all too familiar. We thank you that your word is eternal, is perfect and true, 
And just as it spoke to us then, it speaks to us now and into the future. Which will be done this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. It seems that amongst their other problems, and there were many of them, that the church of Corinth has split into seemingly two different groups, the quote-unquote strong Christians and the weak Christians. And we're going to see that that's not really uh, true. But the strong Christians believed that they were smarter, they were wiser, they were better than the weak Christians. Why? Because they taught and they understood that there's only one true and living God and that all those gods and goddesses are a whole lot of nothing but traditions and fairy tales, that there's no power in those idols, they're just inanimate objects, that those pieces of stone and wood and temples can't speak, can't hear, can't do anything. And Paul agrees with them. He says, you guys are right. We have this knowledge. We know this to be true. There's another faction who, quote-unquote, were labeled as the weaker brethren, who had come out of paganism. It had been a part of their lives and their growing up and their heritage. It was a part of who they were. And they're trying to escape it. They're trying to get away from it. And so they don't want to be attached to anything even claiming to be a part of it. And it interacts with their world. And Paul is telling the, quote-unquote, strong Christians, yes, yes, this is true, but knowledge puffs up and love edifies. If you think of like a puffer fish, you just imagine me puffing up, expanding bigger and bigger until you're pushed up against the walls of the church and suddenly you're pushed out. That's what knowledge is. But edifying means building up. Love builds each other up. It's not trying to beat each other, to force each other, to push each other. But when we begin to encourage and strengthen one another, that we're edified, we grow in grace. Israel was privileged among other nations. And it's kind of interesting to say because we may believe that doctrinally, but in history we say, man, you know, I, don't, I kind of don't want to be in the nation of Israel. Uh, the persecutions and the tribulations, the punishments and the plagues. I mean, yeah, God was with them, but their history is pretty tough. So what is the benefit of being in the nation of Israel, quote, God's chosen people for that time? Well, the book of Romans tells us that they, in the midst of all that paganism, had a relationship with the true and the living God. Remember, all the religions of this world are fake. They are not real. Allah doesn't exist. Buddha's buried in a cave somewhere. They're dead. Hinduism is the biggest mythology system on the face of the planet. It's not real. There's only one true and living God who lives in the heavens, the triune singular being, God. And they knew this. They knew this. And the nation of Israel grew up in the midst of a pagan world worshiping the true and living God. And God revealed himself to them, and he told them this very thing. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 6, he says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who would love me and keep my commandments. But I, I want to remind you, as awesome as that is, to have the recorded word of God and to worship the true and living God. Did Israel only follow God for its history? There were multiple times where, yes, there were great revivals and great moving to God. But from the book of Judges onward, or even in Joshua and Exodus, we see the rebellion of the people of Israel. And before the 70 years in captivity, they struggled year after year, generation after generation, with paganism infiltrating their culture. To the times of the kings, when the kings would have to go in there and God would raise up godly kings and they would have to clean out the temple of all the idolatry. And so in our society, we don't really interact with idols, do we? I mean, what's the closest thing that we'll inter interact with? Maybe going to the sushi restaurant and seeing that big, fat, ugly Buddha in the front? But nobody's bowing down to the thing, thinking that it's actually speaking to them. I mean, the closest thing that we might get to is like Catholicism, where they have Mary's statue there, and they're praying to it like it's a real thing. It's just a statue, and not a good-looking one either, if you ask me. In Hinduism today, for sure, major idol worship. You know, Africa, the Caribbean, there, there are different areas. But by and large, in Western society, we don't, we don't deal with paganism anymore. So how do we even identify with this? For one, we need to realize that the gospel, that Jesus himself in the first century lived in a world that was completely contrary to his teaching. That's completely contrary to the true and the living God. It's encouraging for us because if you go out there right now into the street, into the wild, just go to the Publix, go to any, any grocery store, any, your place of work, and ask them, what do you think God is like? And they will whittle themselves an idol out of thin air like you've never even heard. They just make up stuff like, I remember one of my bosses one time, he said, well, I think that God is a force in space. And it has like, it has not a form, but maybe it's like a cloud of like, and I was just like, my jaw was hitting the floor. What are you saying? Of course, I didn't say anything. He was my boss. But he had, he just created out of thin air what he thought God was like. And we'll see that mostly that's how the culture is today. And this should be encouraging for us. Many people were coming out of direct paganism at that time. The word of God and the gospel went forth, and for centuries people were getting saved and transformed, and the whole world was turned upside down. And the Lord is doing it again today because I'm a little messed up. And sometimes when I think back on the first century, I think, well, that must have been a time the gifts of the Holy Spirit were in full operation. They, they had seen the risen Lord. They knew those things to be true. The church was unified. People were getting saved. The word of God was going out. But what do we see in Corinth? What do we see in the Bible? Churches were divided. Doctrine was already getting corrected. The world and the government system was against the church trying to stop it. And we realize, like I said, maybe we don't identify with paganism so much, but we definitely identify with the world in which the gospel went forth. Now remember, Paul is agreeing with the quote-unquote strong Christians. What he is correcting is what they do with it. 
how they deal with it. He would also tell the Romans in chapter 14 of the book of Romans this very thing. In verses 1 through 4, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. He would also say in the book of Romans, one man exalts one day above another, and let every man exalt every day the same. Let each reason in his own mind. We don't have to worship on Sunday morning. Having a different diet, what you eat, doesn't matter. Paul just told us in the last few verses, in the last chapters, that it doesn't matter if you're married or single. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. By faith alone. And so we shouldn't judge each other based on those things. You know why he had to write those things? Because people are judging each other based on those kinds of things. And it had to be corrected. But we can't use our liberty, our grace, to, to hurt or to hinder or to stumble others. Now, what is the real question here? What is Paul addressing? What's the situation? We read it in verses 4 through 6. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. The question is, what to do with meat offered unto idols? Now Paul is addressing here that yes, idols are nothing. Before we talk about the culture and, and this eat, eating, eating meat offered unto idols. I want to let you know we're going to talk a lot more about idols in chapter 10 of Corinthians. So we got chapter 9, and then we got chapter 10. In chapter 10, we're going to address idols again. But Paul is going to share with us that even though idols are nothing, there are no, there are no other gods but God. Capital G, nothing. No other ones. They're, they're made up fantasies. We need to be very, very careful with idolatry because he's going to tell us in chapter 10, I couldn't wait, I had to share it with you, there are spiritual things behind them. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, it says, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And I agree with Paul. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So what are demons? What are you talking about? You just told us there's nothing that the Buddha statue at the sushi restaurant is just a piece of artwork. And now you're telling me that if we worship them, we're worshiping demons. Well, what are demons? Demons are fallen angels. They were created perfect by God. And when Lucifer, another perfect angel, fell and became Satan, the devil, he took a third of the angels with him. They are in complete rebellion to God. They have only one purpose that cause sickness, suffering, and destruction. They bring death into the world. 
So that the idols, there's nothing. There is no make-believe. They're just, they're just make-believe. Mars, Venus, all the Roman gods, Zeus, and Medusa, all that stuff is nonsense. It's just stories. <clears throat> but what would happen in that time period is when you were making your offering to your particular god in your household, and little Johnny was sick, and then you made your offering, and he wasn't sick anymore. They'd be like, see, he's real. This God is real. Well, we would see that these demons are playing with human beings and interacting with non-believing people and acting as if they were real in order to keep them enslaved from not knowing the truth. Remember, what is a demon's purpose? Sickness, suffering, destruction. That's what they want. And so you may experience the same things. We'll talk about this later in Corinthians. We'll talk about this in other portions of Scripture. But if you have had a a situation with a quote-unquote psychic or a Ouija board or witchcraft, or you come from a culture, we have many people from different countries where that's more prevalent. Yes, there are demonic influences behind them. Just stay away from them. Now, I want to reiterate, there are no gods. There are no little g gods, no false gods. There's only one God in the heavens. God is not in competition with anyone. He is alone. Now, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, the follow-up letter to 1 Corinthians, is going to reference Satan as the, quote, God of this age. It's like, well, Mike, is that a contradiction? I mean, you said there's no gods, and now he's referenced as one. Well, let's read the verse. It's 2 Corinthians 4.4. He says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So what is it? He's referencing Satan as the God of this age because he is worshipped by the people of this age, whether they know it or not. Whether they know it or not, because they're deceived into believing something. You know, for example, if you see Muslims walking around the Kaaba, that's that big box in Saudi Arabia where they're throwing those stones at and they're running back and forth and they're they're worshipping Satan. Now, don't be upset with me. They say the same thing about us. The, tr- the difference is our God is alive and theirs is not. He's make-believe. And then that Islam comes out of paganism, which is ironic because they're violently opposed to anything paganist. You can do your own research. Look up what is inside that box. What does the name Allah mean? Where did it come from? Look it up. Now, I'm not picking on Muslim people All people need Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior because there's only one true and living God. There's only one way of salvation. Jesus Christ said the only way to the Father is through him. When he said only, he meant only. He said that broad is the way of destruction, but narrow is the way of salvation. Yes, it is one man wide, Jesus Christ, only through him, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, I want us to be crystal clear. Now, that seems like so radical a statement in today's environment. What I'm saying is, that's what was going on in Corinth. See, that's the situation. At that time, not everybody ate meat. That was an incredibly expensive item unless you lived out on a farm. But if you're in the city, you mostly ate uh, barley and wheat and staple grains, uh, being, you know, things that were easier to store, easier to keep. So when did they eat meat? You could only get it in two places. The market, which was very expensive, or 
all the different table, t- uh, tables, all the different temples, must be close to lunch already, all the different temples received offerings. And so when the meat offering came, they split it into three parts. One part went to the person offering it. Another part went to the deity that they burned up. The third part they would give to the temple priest or priestesses. But the third part, the priest or priestess, they couldn't eat that much, plus they need to make some money. So what did they do? They sold the meat in the back in the store. So they would have a discount meat market in the back. Hey, you know, this has been, this is a couple hours old. It's been sitting in front of this deity. We took it off. You know, now you can buy some. So the Christians would be like, oh, I want to get the discount. I mean, look at this steak. How could you not buy it? It's half off. And so they would take it back home, or they would take it to the church meal, which was once a week. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks in Corinthians as well. The issue is, is that if your family came out of paganism, and you knew, well, I'm saved by Jesus Christ through faith alone, but my grandpa, my great-grandpa, my whole generation, they've been enslaved to this false deity, and they knew that this meat came from there and was dedicated to it. They just didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to be a part of it. it. It was stumbling them. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, maybe, maybe there's something to that, and then they're stumbling. It's like, well, maybe did I do the right thing? And now they're thinking about it, and they're stumbled. They're, they're, they're weak in this area. Well, the strong believers would be like, well, what's your problem? That God doesn't even exist. He's not even real. What's my problem? Do you know what happens there? Do you know what situation? You know what was in my family? And there was conflict. And there were those that had the correct understanding. There is no false God. There's only one God. And those that are weak were saying, well, yeah, you don't understand my culture, where I come from, what this is going. You can't just say those things. You see, those that thought they were strong were really weak, and those that thought they were weak, you know, really they were strong because they were resisting. It's unfortunate that many of us who think we're the only one that can see are really the only ones that are blind because we're not looking for others. Remember, that's how Paul started this portion of the Scripture. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Does that mean that the Bible is glorifying or glamorifying ignorance? Oh, no, 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 no. More on that in a second. Let's read verses 7 through 9 together. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we better Nor, if we do not eat, are we the worst. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. I remember remember going to a pastor's conference, and all pastors in there. And I remember the pastor, he came up, and he led in a prayer, and he began giving a sermon. I don't remember a single thing he said. All I remember is he was wearing a baseball cap the whole time. I was in Furiated. How can you pray with it? You, are, you call yourself a pastor? In my mind, all I was doing was walking up that aisle, up there to smack that hat off of his head. How disrespectful of you. Is he not saved because he wore his hat? No. Is he not a follower of Christ? Is he not a disciple? Was his message not valid because of a piece of clothing? Absolutely not. I was the weaker brethren. Now, the Bible says, boys, that you should not wear a hat when you're praying. You should have your head uncovered. It says it. Now, 
We have grace and liberty. Show it to you after the sermon. Come talk to me. That being said, did it really matter? No, it didn't matter. I was stumbled by it, though. I told you, he probably had the best sermon ever. I completely missed it because he was wearing a baseball cap. Now, that's a small, trivial thing. What about something bigger than that? Can a pastor drink alcohol? For me, the, abs- the answer is absolutely not. No. No. Well, can a Christian drink? Yes, a Christian can drink. They have the liberty to do so. Remember, Paul says, I can do all things. All things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any. I hear it's a southern thing to go have beer with your pastor. Well, that's cute, except for in my mind's eye, even if the man that he's drinking with does not have that issue, and then now it's the beer's in the refrigerator at the house, and his kid is now taking it for the first time and becomes an alcoholic. I do not want to be attached to that. I know what it can do to a family. I've experienced it. I've lived it. That's not a drink does not do that for me. I, I just can't. I cannot do that. But he was like, oh, when people get all so upset, well, what, you're under such bondage. No, I'm under spiritual strength because I say no. You're such a legalist. We can do it. Yes, you can do what you want. You can do what you want. You are free. But are you using your liberty to stumble others? Are you using the grace that God has given you to puff yourself up or to build others up? And and that is the issue here. How common was this issue of paganism and meat offered unto idols? Well, it happened in Jerusalem in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 15, they had to have a special council, except it was the opposite issue. It wasn't former pagans being stumbled. It was Jews that were becoming, Messianic Jews, believers in Christ, were saying, well, how can we have fellowship? These pagans need to become real Jews first before they can get saved. And what did they come up with at the council of Jerusalem? Absolutely not. Faith, salvation comes through faith alone. But they did ask. They requested, not an order, in Acts 15, verse 19 and 20, therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but to them write, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality, from things strangled, and from blood. They, they were not ordered. They asked them to, with, to withstand, to withhold, to not partake, of things polluted by idols, meat offered unto idols, food offered unto idols, anything with blood in it, not in the fellowship of those from the nation of Israel. Why? It wasn't to put them under religious bondage. It was to be a blessing to their brothers and sisters. It was so that others would not be stumbled. Well, some of us here, mostly from Philadelphia, they want to be confrontational about everything. Everything has to be an argument. Well, then you have those of us from California. It's like, whoa, bro, chill, chill. And they're like, the things of God are not important to you. You can just relax about everything. And you have these different cultures that are clashing when really neither one of them is right. We need to be able to have grace and mercy and understanding. But to that person that's confrontational, be like, well, we need to teach them the truth. We can't let them live in ignorance. You are right. But how do we do that? In Ephesians 4, verse 15, it says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him 
who is the head, Christ. Whenever you need to know how to do something in your Christian walk, look to Jesus. Jesus lived in a world completely overtaken by paganism, false doctrine, false religiosity, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, the Gentiles, the Eastern, the Western. And in that time period and in his life, he was able to serve and to bless, and yet he never compromised on the truth. To look how he interacted with believers and non-believers alike, and you can see how we as Christians, little Christians, middle Christ, are to represent him to the world. Do, do you want somebody around you that's puffed up and pushing you around? Or do you want somebody around you that builds you up, that encourages you? I don't, to be honest, I don't like too much encouragement. I don't like too many, uh, oh, you're doing a great job. No, no, no keep that to yourself. No, 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 I don't, I don't need that. But I definitely don't want somebody around me that's only thinking about themselves. I want somebody that's also thinking about me, and I, I need to be thinking about others. And that's my word of encouragement. When it says speaking the truth in love, he's not talking about heart-shaped red cards given out. He's talking about, in the Greek, the agape love. It's not about feelings. It's not about romance. It's not about your emotions. Agape means self-sacrificing love, others over yourself, to be able to give. We are to preach the truth in the agape love, a love that is perfectly represented in Jesus Christ, his self-sacrificing attitude for others. That is what a true or a strong believer is. <laughs> I mentioned earlier, to speak, speaking of Jesus and what true spiritual strength is, Jesus is the express image of God the Father in the flesh. He is the representative of God. He is God himself. And he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Lion and the Lamb. He, in Colossians 2, it says, in chapter 1 and 2, it says that all things were made by him and through him all things exist. He is the preeminent, all-powerful being in the flesh. And yet, he laid down his rights. He laid down his life for others. Oh, give me an example. I will give you an example. Great question. Before Pontius Pilate, Pilate turns to him and says, Don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? Jesus responds, don't you know, you have no power that my Father in heaven has not given you. And I have the power to call down legions of angels. But does he? No. No, he is all-powerful. He has all strength. And yet he doesn't use that strength to destroy, to build him up, but to bless others. When you think of Jesus all night long praying by himself, he doesn't come down the mountain. Well, when you are all real Christians, you can pray with me all night long. What's wrong with you? No, the crowds come to him and he begins to heal and to feed and to teach, even though he's tired. He was continually self-sacrificing for others because he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. As Christians, we can get this mentality I'm the real Christian, and the other Christians are, are so weak. One day when they grow up, they'll be like me. Absolutely not. That's not to be a follower of Christ. That's to be puffed up. 
I envision that puffer fish, you know, just getting big, can't go through anything, floating in the water, spines all over the place. Or do you think of someone who edifies, who builds up? I've been in construction a long time. It stinks. It's hard. It's sweaty. You get hurt. Your back hurts. You bleed part of the time, especially when you're dumb, like me. It is very difficult. And, you, and when you're done, you've got to go do it again, and somebody else is breaking it already when you're finished. That is the Christian walk. Edifying each other can be difficult. But love, speaking the truth in love, love edifies. Now let's read verses 10 through 14 together. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish? For whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against your brethren and wound their weak conscience, you, in, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble." How did no one in second ser- or first service not see that there is no verse 14 in chapter 8? What You guys are much better than that. You guys brought it to my attention. Finishing in verse 13. What, what lights are you ready to lay down? I mean, this is radical to me. What does Paul say here? If it saves somebody, I will never eat meat again. I'm like, whoa, 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 not the bacon. <laughs> like, come on, come on now. The steaks, really? But the, the question is, what are you willing to do to lay down? Are you willing to lay down your honor and your pride to save some? What about your free speech? Are you willing to lay down your free speech if it saves somebody? I mean, we live in the South here. I know this is going to not make you any understanding to some of you, and other of you are going to be radical. Will you, will you give up your guns if it saves a soul? Are you, are you willing to do that? What about your big truck? Or what about you with that Prius? I told the first service, I'm like, come on, let's be honest. Your Prius don't work anymore. It's, it's gone. Or what about you that, you know, you're a vegan, and so you have to tell everybody you're a vegan everywhere you go. <laughs> would you give that up, though? Like, if it broke fellowship, would you take a little meat to, to bring fellowship? What rights are you willing to lay down? Now, Paul is going to talk about this very thing in the very next chapter, in chapter 9. So you've got to come back. I told you, you've got to come back and get the rest of it. But I couldn't help it. I had to share a little bit. Because he is going to tell us at the end of chapter 9, And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those that are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. I I really don't like this next verse, but this is the gospel. This is what it says. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I had become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. You know, I got no problem when Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain, but when he says to become to the weak, to become weak, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's be a little, this is a little crazy here. But he is sincere. Remember, he argued with Peter and set him straight when Peter started separating himself from the Gentiles in Galatia. Remember, the Jews started sitting separately, and then Paul comes around and is like, what are you doing? You can't do that. And he re, reuni- reunified them. 
you know, what, what rights are we willing to, lie down, to lay down? And this issue is on both sides. So remember when we were in Galatians, the Judaizers came up from Israel and they tried to tell the, those in the, the pagans in Galatia, the former pagans, hey, you need to be Jews now. You need to follow all the rites and rituals. Otherwise, God doesn't really love you. And then they said, no, 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 liberty. But here in Corinth, they're saying, no, 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 we have liberty. We have grace. And he's saying, wait, wait, wait. Well, what about your weaker brethren? We find that there's a balance. So what are we Christians in the 21st century supposed to do? We're to live by grace. Living by grace, the unmerited, unearned favor of God. Those of us that are strong in freedom of Christ are not to use this liberty to stumble others. He said here, it's like you're in the, you're in the temple eating your ribs because they're 50% off, but your brother or sister came out of that family and it, it's been told that their whole life, their whole ancestry has been worshiping a false god, make-believe. And you just act like it's no big deal? Now we need to be deferring to them. Now, I want to remind us, because I talked a little bit about paganism, about worshiping demons, about spiritual things. We need to remember how this chapter started off with Paul identifying with those. Their knowledge was correct. There is only one God living in the heavens. There is none like him, no equal, no competitor. And so whatever weird things happen on this planet, we need to remind ourselves his kingdom cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken away. We can't be separated. Greater is he that is in you than is in the world. It says it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Let us have what? Grace. By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Our kingdom cannot be shaken. In our weaknesses, he is made strong. That means even if we fail, even if we mess up, even if we don't do this grace thing right, maybe you were that puffer, puffer fish puffed up in your knowledge. Maybe you're weak in the faith and you're like, you're thinking things are affecting you. They're not really affecting you. It's okay because the just shall live by faith, the Bible tells us. We need to use the knowledge we have in Christ and the spirit that indwells us to build each other up. We have to live like Christ for others that others may live. Remember, he was able to live in that pagan, backslidden, religious world that was contrary to all the truth, teaching all kinds of falsehoods and lies and manipulations. If you were here in the last few weeks with Corinth, we saw what Caesar Nero, what, what his lifestyle was like and what the Roman world was like. And this is where the gospel took off. We're in fertile soil today. And so even though the situation is different than the first century, we also see it's remarkably the same. We use this liberty to love others with this agape love, to be disciples, to heal others, to serve them. Meanwhile, never compromising with the truth, just like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, the light in dark places, Lord. We pray that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, that you would prepare us and disciple us and send us into the world, that we would live for others and not ourselves and be a little more like you every day. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you, swap stories, share things with you. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night.